Let's Talk Outdoors is recorded on the homelands of many nations, including the Cree, Soto, Assiniboine, Dene, Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Métis nations on the Treaty 6 and Treaty 4 territories. We encourage you to always learn more about the stories of the land on which you live, work, and play. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Leah, and this is Let's Talk Outdoors. Today, our guest is Kyle Harrison. Kyle is an electrician by day and a park and wilderness explorer by weekend and night. This episode, you'll get to hear about Kyle's experience winning the Explorer Sask Parks Road Trip Contest and gain some helpful tips for your next Saskatchewan excursion. Welcome, Kyle. Uh, Can you start by telling us a little bit about what got you interested in exploring the outdoors and in outdoor recreation? Sure. Yeah, It started when I was young, you know, family camping, and it just kind of grew from there. Um, My job kind of, it's busy, busy, busy contract work. And if I, if I don't have a contract, then I'll have like maybe a couple weeks off. So I'll go camping. I'll go in the bush and just relax. You're an electrician by trade during the week. So this is kind of something that you get to travel around Saskatchewan with. Uh, And is it mostly in the province here? Yeah, our company um, actually does a lot of a lot of traveling within the province. So we have some contracts with uh, the RCMP and and whatnot. So we get to travel from Estevan to Fond du Lac all over. That's a perfect gig. Yeah, perfect gig if you want to be a, an explorer of, of the outdoors. Yeah, especially when when you get paid to fish and, <laughs> and then buffalo and arrows on your days off, and if you're working up there, so it's it works out pretty good for a for an outdoorsy guy like me. Absolutely. Were there any experiences in your growing up years that were really pivotal into your connection with nature and the outdoors? Not really. I mean, my family went camping not a lot, but it kind of hit when I was in my teens. And I I traveled when I got out of high school to Europe and got bit by the travel bug. And after that, I kind of realized we have a lot to offer in the province. So I just started to drive around the province and find all these beautiful places. Do you mostly stick to the kind of uh, provincial parks or, um, or do you kind of go wherever you can and, and set up a tent? Yeah, there's been, uh, I kind of do it all. Like uh, we have two national parks in the province, Grasslands and PA National Park. Uh, I, I frequent those quite a lot. Um, provincial parks, yeah, but I prefer to go backcountry. So things like... Crownland camping is pretty awesome. So that's that's why I prefer in the northern provincial forests. So in 2021, you participated and won the Explore SAS Parks Road Trip Challenge. Can you tell us what that was all about? Yeah, that was a epic road trip, it turned out. Um, yeah, I was actually driving to Weyburn for a service call. And I follow the Saskatchewan Wander on Twitter and Andrew announced the contest and kind of gave some details and there were some prizes to be had if you visit 5, 10, 25 parks. And the grand prize turned out to be eight nights, eight days, seven nights, pardon me, uh, on the Athabasca Sand Dunes, which had been on my bucket list for well over a decade. 
And I, as I was driving to Weyburn, I kind of mulled it over and, you know, I do a lot of traveling for work. I'm used to driving on the highways and there's a few parks on the list that I haven't been to. So let's give it a shot. And then I'm working out real nice. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the gas bill. That was, that was kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how quickly did you complete this challenge? Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a surprise, uh, to tourism Saskatchewan that someone completed it that fast. I did it over three weekends. So it was, it was, uh, I, I, I recorded my tripometer on my vehicle. I think it turned out just over 7,000 clicks. That's a lot of driving. That was, I, I did, I did the province in like three kind of quadrants. I basically went to chapters and got one of those big fold out roadmaps of Saskatchewan and marked out all the parks so I could see and kind of plan my route. And because I do a lot of driving with work, there's a lot of secondary highways I haven't traveled yet. Yeah. So I kind of kind of took the back roads as much as I could. Visited some like side attractions on the way. And yeah, did it in did it in three weekends. One was a long weekend. I'll, I'll give myself that. And I I, I got a Friday off from my boss. <laughs> That's good. As I was driving, I phoned her on the Thursday evening. You were already on the road. and Yeah, I was already 100 clicks north of Regina. <laughs> like, okay, that's good. I don't want to turn around now. Yeah, better to ask for forgiveness if, if it was a no. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah that, that weekend turned out to be the Northern Loop where I went to Clearwater Provincial Park, which is north of Lalash. That's about 900 kilometers north of Regina. Did you have like a favorite quadrant that you did, that you visited? I'm a sucker for the north, like past the Timberbelt, past PA. So, and I'd never been to Clearwater before. That was one of the parks that I hadn't visited yet. So I was really looking forward to camping there for the night. And that was a, that was a very long drive. I bet. <laughs> yeah. The return trip, because I hit up a couple parks near Saskatoon and Batoche area, that turned out to be a 16 hour day. But it was all worth it. What are some of the unique experiences or things you saw while you were driving these thousands of kilometers? Well, Clearwater, actually, I was in the campground right near the river and some locals, uh, some Dene locals were having a cookout. And my steak that I had bought at the Robertson Trade Post in LaRange had gone bad and they cooked me supper and... There was a Dene language teacher there and taught me taught me a couple words of Dene and had a real blast with those guys. So it was neat what happens when food's involved, like where when you're traveling around, hey, like where, you know, I remember I've had a few meals get spoiled too. And then you get to run into someone, they're like, oh, well, you can just come and join us, stranger. And it's like, oh yeah, that is a nice, it's a nice way to meet people that way. Yeah, I got some extra food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some wisdom of the language, yeah. Yeah, actually, the, the previous day I was in uh, LaRange and there was, well, not LaRange. I was north of Mississippi at Devil Lake Campground, just north of Otter Rapids. And I was, you know, getting chummy with my neighbors and, you know, talking about the, the trip and their trips and their holidays. And this Jeep rolls by with two canoes on the, on the roof rack. I'm like, Oh, nice. Someone's, someone's hitting the rapids. That's nice. And it turned out to be one of my coworkers that was up there just randomly. <laughs> so got to hang out with him, <laughs> had no clue he was going up and yeah, that was a nice surprise. 
what do you do when you're driving to these places? It's a lot of kilometers to cover. I know like um, me and my wife, we, when we go on big trips, we throw in like a Harry Potter uh, book on tape, but I, I imagine not everybody does that. So what, what is, what's your kind of thing when you're, when you're driving there? Well, I tried to keep it local. Um, I was listening to a lot of Saskatchewan artists, Deep Dark Woods, Megan Nash, but uh, there was a lot of podcasts involved. I've, I've finished a lot of podcast series. Uh, kind of gets monotonous, trying out different playlists on Spotify. There was a 90s house music vibe I had going on for a couple hours there on the last weekend just to power through. Um, but yeah, it's uh, and just stopping regularly. You know, you got to stop and stretch and hitting up local fruit stands like I did in the summer. So there's all sorts of BC fresh fruit and smoked salmon and getting all my road snacks by just fruit trucks. Tried to at least. I tried to avoid the gas station, you know, lunch as much as possible. What month did this happen in? Um, I did it in the height of summer. I think it was uh, June, the end of June. Yeah. I believe I, I I finished it all in June. Did you have any adverse weather on your travels? It, it didn't rain. It wasn't it wasn't really the weather I was worried about. It was more so the active wildfires at the time. That was that was a real concern. So, for instance, uh, Narrow Hills Provincial Park. I really wanted to see the Gem Lakes again, and I just couldn't do it because there was active active forest fires as I was driving. Through the park, you could see them from, you know, probably about 150 meters away. So that was that was a very quick stop. Didn't do any fishing there, unfortunately. Were there fire bans throughout this whole time too? Then, yes, I, I'm not too sure. I can't remember if it was a provincial ban. Um, I think there was a provincial fire ban for two of the weekends. Um, so I didn't have any fires. Uh, third weekend. I don't think it was provincial, but yet I didn't want to chance it. I don't want to burn down a park. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> so I did not do that. Especially backcountry stuff. If you ever go and do that, it's like, oh yeah, it was definitely you. Yeah, it's, it's, and it was super dry. It was a super dry year. So I, I didn't really do that. And when I left camp, when I was in uh, Devil's Lake uh, campground, North Miss Nippy with my coworker, he stayed an extra day, but they actually got evacuated. Uh, they were told to leave because there was active wildfires quite close. Um, as we're camping, you could hear and see the, the fire uh, helicopters dumping loads and loads of lake water onto the active fire, forest fire just across the road. So. so really, you did this challenge at the perfect time. You literally like beat some things by a day of getting up and back that name. Yeah, there was certain... Certain aspects like Lac Larange Provincial Park was one of them where if I didn't do it that day, I probably couldn't. And I would have to wait another weekend, which would just kill me. That's a lot of driving from Regina <laughs> to Larange. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and the other one that was very scary was it was the last weekend and it was the last park, actually. Wildcat Provincial Park, uh, for those that don't know. There's not really any roads that go there per se. There's there's one road called Fur Road uh, that kind of skirts uh, the the west side of the park, and you can you can sort of get there. Uh, but there was an active wildfire right there that that road was closed. So I headed up north on number nine, 
and I knew a spot with a old decommissioned logging road with a little campsite and camped there for the night. And my plan was get on my mountain bike, bike as far as the road will take me, and then hike into the into the park and spend another night. That did not happen. Uh, at at night, I slept in my truck. I have like a SUV with a little mattress in the back. So sleeping in my truck and I got awoken by flashes of light and it was an electrical storm and it started to freak me out because it was right over top of me. It was, it was very, very dry. It was the middle of nowhere, no cell phone coverage, decommissioned logging road, not the smartest move I've ever done. I'm, I'm somewhat experienced, but that was, that was kind of sketchy and I just didn't sleep the rest of the night from 2 a.m. to 5.30 in the morning when I started making breakfast. I did not sleep because I didn't want a chance. A lightning bolt starting a fire and me burning to death, essentially. <laughs> uh, so. so you weren't feeling up for a bike the next day? Yeah, well, I yeah, at 5.30, I made my oatmeal and mixed in some dark chocolate and guzzled down some water and Gatorade and started biking. And after the rain subsided around 6 o'clock and started biking into the into the park or close to the park and I came to a clearing um, when I started hiking I came to a clearing and there was an airdrop of field pumps and hoses sitting there and I thought to myself this is this is dumb this is not the smartest move but I'm like five kilometers to the park. Yeah, it's still almost there. <laughs> Let's just do this. This probably isn't the smartest move. Don't do don't try that at home. <laughs> don't try that. Um, so I completed it. There's a very sweaty photo that I submitted to the support team because obviously there was no cell coverage um, of me holding my GPS with the coordinates. And I just booked it right back to my vehicle and raced back to Hudson Bay. A, because there's active forest fires, but B, I just completed the contest. So I wanted to, wanted to get back to cell phone coverage as soon as possible. And also tell the support team that, Hey, there's a lot of active forest fires. If people aren't, you know, somewhat experienced with backcountry orientation and wilderness training, then it's probably not the safest pinpoint to have for the contest. So within 20 minutes, they, they changed it to Hudson Bay. Uh, recreational site in town which was which was really good oh that's good really good call so did you just get those skills kind of over the years of just being out backcountry camping yourself or yeah for the most part i've done you know obviously for work i've done a lot of first aid and and things like that but uh for the outdoorsy stuff it's it's mostly i mean you can learn a lot of things on youtube maybe not the right things but uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a lot of a lot of things on YouTube and just through through trial and error. Um, like winter camping, like your first winter camping experience probably isn't gonna be great. In fact it's not. <laughs> it's gonna be cold, it's gonna be wet, you're not gonna know what to do. But you do it a couple times and then you really start to appreciate the winter wilderness. I bet. Do you have a favorite winter place to check out? Uh, I usually go snowshoeing in PA National Park. Uh, and go up to either Camp Lake or Fish Lake. Was it's in the southern part of the part of the park. It's not groomed trails, so you can actually actually snowshoe there. So that's that's pretty nice. It's a different kind of feeling, isn't it? When you actually like, you can look around and like, oh yeah, no one's been out here. 
Yeah, and no one, no one, no one does. It's it's <laughs> awesome, which is pretty rare for like to Saskatchewan. I gotta say, where that's um, that's something you can actually do. Yeah, it's like our northern provinces, part of the provinces, vastly untouched. There's so much to explore, especially on a canoe. I really want to get into canoeing this year, so do some canoe adventures, and because I I love to fish too. And we have world-class fishing here. Like uh, for work, when I go up to LaRange or Buffalo and Arrows, um, there's companies that will fly very wealthy Americans uh, to some very awesome places like Cree River Lodge for quite a lot of money. And they come all over. I've met people from Nevada, the Carolinas, Maine, California, like everywhere, and they all say the same thing. You have untouched, world-class fishing. Neat. So let's go back to, you finished the contest, you rushed away from the forest fires, and so you won. And last summer, 2022, you got to go on this trip, is that right? Yeah. I actually didn't know I won right away, because the lady from Tourism Saskatchewan had an earned day off. So I was frantically trying to phone her to find out if I had won or not. And I had to wait a couple of days. Oh no. So it was very stressful. <laughs> it did turn out that I won. It was super exciting. And yeah, the next year I got all expense paid flights to FBAS Sand Dunes uh, with it was a guided guided trip with Churchill Canoe Outfitters. We had two guides and they were awesome. Uh, I got to bring a friend who actually called dibs on it when I when I told him I was doing the contest. He's like, oh, I call dibs. And <laughs> he says to this day, it's the greatest dibs he's ever called. Yeah. So we got a we got a free ride up there and flew into Stony and spent the night in Stony Rapids. And next day we got on a an otter float plane from nineteen fifty two. Oh, that's wow. cool. So that's what they operate up there. It's awesome experience we've never been on a float plane i hadn't and uh yeah it took about two hours to fly from stony to to the park and landed on the lake and set up camp and it was it was like stepping on the surface of mars it was it was unreal couldn't believe that i was in saskatchewan yeah i've seen pictures of it and it just seems like a like you say a completely different place something that you would never guess for saskatchewan yeah, like I, whenever I would meet someone not from Saskatchewan, I would show them photos of the dunes and tell them, hey, "Where do you, where do you think this is?" Well, it's in northern Saskatchewan. Not a lot of people know we have the most northern active sand desert in the world, in our province, and it's home to five different species of plants that only grow in that little tiny pocket. It's amazing. That's why it's been on my bucket list for well over a decade. So happy to be be there but this is going to show my ignorance about fishing but is is the fishing something you do with Athabasca sand dunes or is it all a protected area uh you you can fish there um unfortunately it's very poor fishing uh just because of all the sediment um there's there's uh where we camped was kind of on the west portion of the park where the big dunes are and there's a river called williams river that runs through it and there's just so much sediment and um, the lake is so huge that you really need a boat or a canoe 
um, to get away and, and actually do some fishing. We brought our fishing rods just because we like to cast a line. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah that's what you do when you're out there. You're just going to cast a line and relax and watch the sunset. And who cares if you actually catch anything? It's, it's all about the experience, right? Is it a lot of hiking out there then? Uh, yeah, like I think we hiked pretty much every day. Uh, we set up camp along the shores of Lake Athabasca for a couple of days, which you don't really realize you're in the park. There's not a lot of sand. I mean, it's a sandy beach, but there's a little bit of forest. And then you walk up an embankment and boom, you're in desert. It's the weirdest experience. And the dunes actually will eat the, the forest, the pockets of forest that are in there. So you'll be walking around, you'll walk over a dune, go into a valley, and you're walking on forest lichen, and then pop up and you're at you're facing a wall of sand, and then boom, you're you're back in in desert. It's it's the weirdest experience. It's it was it was awe inspiring. Yeah, so we uh, we packed up camp actually from from the the shores, and we moved camp once to the William River and that was that was awesome there's signs of moose everywhere we only saw one moose unfortunately we didn't see any bears we really wanted to see a bear just trek across a sand desert that, that would have really cemented the surreal environment we were in but uh yeah and then we we hiked to the big dunes that were incredibly huge it was a magical day actually we lucked out on weather. There was really no rain. There was no thunderstorms. Didn't really get rained out any days. And the only real weather we had was on that day when we hiked to the big dunes. And it was like 80K gust winds. But it was awesome because you could see the sand coming off the tops of the dunes. And it was just, it was like being in a parts blaster like a sandblaster. It really hurt the legs. We got we got an exfoliation kind of treatment, spa treatment that day. Got all the dead skin off. <laughs> One of those trips that when you come home from, you're like, oh, I got to, I got to take a shower. Oh, there were several showers. Um, oh, there, was, there was a lot of sand. There was a lot of sand in, in my gear, in my clothes, <laughs> on my person, in my vehicle when I drove back to Regina. It was, it took a while to get all the sand out, but yeah, we did, we did a lot of hiking, just mild hikes, nothing too extreme. And it was all done barefoot too. There was, there was really no shoes involved, which I really enjoyed. sounds like you've had like a pretty diverse experience around all of Saskatchewan, but I mean, that caps it off there. Like you said, that's a once, like that's a very unique place to be. Um, have you learned any lessons along the way that like the hard way uh, and maybe tips that you give other people to increase their skills, skill set, sorry. Well, kind of exploring outdoors. Yeah. So like, like I said earlier, it's mostly through trial and error, winter camping, don't wear a backpack, uh, pull a sled. That's, that's one of the big ones I pulled, I tore a groin, groin muscle actually. When I was in PA National Park for the first time snowshoeing, and then got surrounded by wolves. Um, that was that was awesome. That's <laughs> not a fun time. That was not a fun time. That was not a fun hike back to the truck. I, I cried when I 
got back to my truck that had heated seats. So why, sorry, why, what, I've never even heard that piece of advice. I've seen people pull sleds and actually this, now that I think about it, the smarter people in my life for outdoor stuff are always pulling sleds, but is it just cause you got that extra weight on you and like your footing is always off? Yeah. Especially with snowshoeing. I was an unexperienced snowshoer at the time too. And the front of my snowshoe just dug in and I had all the extra weight. Of course you have a lot of weight when you're doing winter camping because uh, you just have more gear, gotta stay warm. And yeah, it just dug in and, and uh, it's devastating when you have an extra 50 pounds on your back instead of just pulling a sled. And yeah, just soap up your sled or wax up your sled so it glides nice on the snow. That would be my one tip for winter camping. Hmm. I feel like that would also help. Like when I wear a backpack, I sometimes get sweaty where I'm wearing the backpack, right? And it, I know getting sweaty in the winter is not a great option. So I feel like pulling a sled, you might be able to shed your layers more easily too. To, avoid that exactly your your back is drenched like i'm a i'm a bigger guy even when i'm doing it in summer or fall it's it's always a concern um getting all my clothes soaked so yeah it it helps in that respect too because if you get wet in the winter then that's that's a that's a bad call and it pays to go faster when you have wolves all around you too so that's good yeah yeah just make a really big fire (laughs) Really big fire. Obviously observe, you know, pack in, pack out. That's a big thing. If you see trash on the trail, pick it up. <laughs> that's that's my one thing. That's what my one pet peeve. When I'm in the middle of nowhere and I'm thinking, ah, oh, maybe I'm the first person in, you know, a hundred years to be in here, and then you see a slurpy cup. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Someone hiked 20k with a slurpy. <laughs> I'm almost not even mad. That is an image though. Yeah. yeah. And just, just start out, just start out slow, you know, go to some well-established trails, especially with backcountry. Like a lot of people are hesitant to, especially going out alone for backcountry, just do a day hike and stay in the, stay in the campground, you know, and work yourself up. I've met a lot of people in the backcountry uh, in some parks that it's their first time and, they're kind of glad to see me, you know, as some company. I bet. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's pretty different doing trips by yourself, like solo trips, but sounds like you have quite a bit of experience doing that. And do you like, like, what do you, how do you feel about them? Do you, do you, do you enjoy that solo time? Uh, for the most part? Yeah. Um, just cause I like solo traveling. I can make my own schedule and make my own decisions. But then again, when I go to the mountains and stuff with my buddies, like it's, it's nice. It's nice to have a second opinion sometimes, especially when you get lost and someone has some orienteering skills that maybe you don't have. And you can learn from that. I think I'd be like an awful, like backcountry solo, solo person on my own. I get, even when I'm driving in the city, I, I remember when I was first learning like the city routes, I would question myself and I just turn around and be like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to venture down the street anymore. I, I just kept second guessing myself. And I think it'd be the same out in the woods too. So it must be a bit of a mind, a mind game when you maybe don't know where you are or you're, you're kind of making your way through someplace new. Yeah. Getting lost is always kind of concern, but you know, use trail tape. Uh, if you're, if you're concerned, if you think you're lost, string up a large triangle with your trail tape, just to mark where you walked from 
and you can you can kind of fan out in that area and come back to your your triangle and orientate yourself but yeah if you if you're not comfortable don't do it but you know there's there's always adventure to be had if if you go down that road so i've i've had many of adventure doing that sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> they've all worked out i'm still here so right but you yeah you've had your you've had a lot of experience doing this stuff too which is great yeah yeah it's uh <clears throat> i like i i do tend to push push myself um especially you know i think i could go you know a couple more kilometers and it might be a little bit better in this in this next spot across this next ridge you know it's the grass is always greener on the other side as they say yeah that's the beauty of traveling alone also yeah you're you're not you're not hampered by maybe others but then again when i go camping with some of my friends they're they're a little bit more fitter than me and i'm slowing them down so <laughs> so one of our questions we ask all of our guests is where is your favorite place to visit in saskatchewan it's like asking a kid what their favorite candy is when they're in a candy store that's that's a toughie ah it's i mean the sand dunes were unreal but if I had to pick a place that I can actually go to, it would probably be Grasslands National Park, specifically the East Block, and specifically on May Long, if there's a new moon and it's cold night and it's clear out. This is a natural uh, dark sky preserve, and I love photographing the Milky Way out there, and it's just unreal stargazing. There's nothing like it. I, I, I think I've gone 25 plus times to the Valley of a Thousand Devils specifically and just camped in the, in the back country. Neat. Grasslands, is, I've been there, but it's on my list of, I, I do a little bit of backpacking with some kids in my life. And so the Grasslands is, is on our interest list. And so I'm making notes of, of your recommendation of when to go, where to go specifically. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe not right in May. I've gone. I've actually gone in before May long because they open. I I think they open May long, if I'm not mistaken. And I've actually gone there a little bit earlier and talked to some of the park staff because they come in a week or two before and was allowed to to camp with the cows because they use it for grazing land uh, in the off season. But it's it's a really good park uh, specifically for beginners or um kids because it's it's really nice trails it's really gentle you can get to the attractions pretty pretty easily within two to five k one way so it's it's a nice gentle introduction especially if you're if you're wanting to try out uh backcountry camping then i would suggest get a grasslands because you can camp anywhere right yeah, I think by the time we think of it, it's often we're getting into that heat of summer and I just think, oh, I don't want to go to a place with, with no trees. So I like the idea of going earlier in the in the spring or summer. Yeah, if you're just doing a day hike, it's uh, I would definitely suggest it for that. If you're camping, probably bring your winter sleeping bag because it gets really cold at night. Um, but yeah, if you go in like June and July, and try and do that there's no more water caches unfortunately so you got to hike in 
I hike in six liters of water each time and that's really heavy, but it's also like walking through a hair dryer. So it's <laughs> such dry and arid. Yeah. It's, it's essentially a desert in there. I've appreciated your comments there. Last year we went to the Gem Lakes and so we need to go almost opposite this year, grasslands. Yeah, that is quite a polar opposite, Gem Lakes to yeah, grasslands. That's be neat. Hopefully less mosquitoes. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, there's not really any mosquitoes when it's the height of summer because it's just so darn hot out and there's really no water around. The mosquitoes up in the sand dunes were unreal. That, that was one thing. That was, um, it, you would be like, wow, I can't believe we're like, it doesn't feel like we're in Saskatchewan. And then like a swarm of mosquitoes would just eat you. And you're like, oh yeah, we're still here. Yeah, it was one of our guides, Colin, um, from Churchill uh, Canoe Outfitters. He had been doing stuff in uh, Churchill, Manitoba, and the Arctic. And he's seen, like, blackout clouds of mosquitoes. So he's seen it all. And we're like, okay, Colin, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being blackout clouds, how would you rate the mosquitoes here? It's like, it's a solid eight. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. Well, okay. So that changes maybe what you pack for that trip. Yeah. Um, my friend Thomas that uh, I took along, we were at Cabela's just kind of, you know, grabbing the odds and ends. And we looked at mosquito jackets. I have one now. Um, it's a lifesaver. I would highly suggest it if you're doing anything in the northern forest. But uh, we looked at it and we're like, well, it's a desert. There's not going to be any mosquitoes, right? <laughs> no, we were very wrong. And he, he brings it up to this day because uh, we got eaten alive. It was, yeah, my skin was very damaged. <laughs> but you're not turning back once you get up there, though, when you, that happens. You just tough it out, I guess. Yeah. No, you can't. I guess there's, you know, we had a satellite phone. We could call for the, the float plane, but. Once you're there, you can't really go go to your local sports shop and pick up a mosquito net. So <laughs> yeah. the closest town is Uranium City, you know, 100K north across a lake. So, Well, if your answer to this next question is mosquitoes, I'll totally understand. But if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? Oh, yeah. Eliminating mosquitoes would be pretty nice, but it's it's kind of a easy ask actually just for people to consume less that's about it you know we always we were always taught the three r's in school and we only kind of rely on one r which is recycling people really don't pay attention to reuse recycle mm -hmm. well it's good that you found that slurpee cup though it's gonna you did your part yeah yeah wherever you go in the world there's always trash, even in the sand dunes. Very little trash up there, but there was there was still a couple bottle caps, and you know maybe someone didn't you know it got lost in the sand. I don't blame them. Thanks for joining us today, Kyle, to tell us about your adventures and experiences. I think I can speak for Mike and, and myself that we learned a lot, and it was very entertaining to hear some of your stories. Leah, after our conversation with Kyle, what is something that you're going to take away from that? Well, as I alluded to, I've been taking my eldest two children and some of their friends on some 
small backcountry excursions. And we've been sticking to mostly safe places like the Gem Lakes um, with facilities. And I was reflecting in our conversation that we have all, all five of us have gained some skills over the last few years that we've been doing this and that maybe we're ready to try a, a bit more adventurous and our in our outings they're all getting bigger and can carry more things and so the the conversation about the grasslands really piqued my interest because I've always been leery of it and the prospect of carrying water for more than just myself but that's on my mind now that I feel like it's possibly in the range of what's possible for our our group it's neat that you guys can all they can get older and they can be of a like be yeah more responsible out there too which is neat yeah Yes. Yeah. There's two teenagers in the little group now, teenage boys. So they can carry more stuff than I can at, <laughs> at this point, which is, which is awesome. I just have to remember that. What about you, Mike? I think I'm going to get a sled to pull my gear now. I've been that sucker with a backpack and snowshoes. So I think, yeah, like I said, I, I've seen enough people do it. And now that Kyle's mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, okay. They are all smarter than me. So I should be doing that. So yeah, that's going to be, I'm going to get some wax and, and get a sled. This podcast is produced in association with Sask Outdoors. Check us out online at saskoutdoors.org.